Eddie Mayer on LBC. With Motorway, where dealers compete to give you the best price for your car. It's Friday, it's a quarter to five. It's Simon Marks's American Week. Eddie, let's start with the news of the day. And it is grim for Ukraine and for anyone in the West who cares about it. The Russians' aerial attacks intensified last night. The capital, Kiev, saw bombs rain down on it, a deadly display that left several apartment buildings destroyed, while Russian forces were fighting to secure control of an airport on the capital's outskirts. Russian military action was underway all over the country as President Volodymyr Zelensky appeared on television from an undisclosed location, claiming the Kremlin was trying to topple his government. I remain in the capital. My family is also in Ukraine. My children are in Ukraine. My family members are not traitors. We are citizens of Ukraine. Where exactly they're located, I have no right to reveal. According to available intelligence, the enemy has marked me as target number one, my family as target number two. They want to destroy Ukraine politically by destroying the head of state. He told Ukrainians that they are now completely on their own, abandoned by the West, as they battle to defend a country whose territorial integrity and sovereignty the US and its Western allies continue to claim are sacrosanct. We are not afraid of anything. We are not afraid to defend our country. We are not afraid of Russia. We need to negotiate the end of this invasion, the end of this war. But now the fate of our country depends entirely on our army. We are left alone to defend our state. Who is ready to fight with us? Honestly, I see no one. He sees no one because there is no one. The Western cavalry will not be riding in from over the horizon. In Washington, London and other allied capitals, government officials say today the Ukrainian armed forces are performing stronger than expected, given that President Biden himself just three weeks ago said that they stood no chance of defeating the Russians. That is something of a result. It may explain why the Kremlin today said the Putin regime is open to talks with Ukrainian officials in the days ahead in Belarus. In Moscow this morning, Sergei Lavrov, Vladimir Putin's servile but still unsanctioned foreign minister, was again insisting that Russia's military operations are limited. He's only lying, of course, whenever he moves his lips. But for what it's worth, he said this morning that Russia's aim is to demilitarize Ukraine and denazify it, a reference to Vladimir Putin's entirely false claim that President Zelensky is a puppet controlled by radical nationalists. The Russians are indicating they want Ukraine now to agree to neutrality. That is, of course, just a fancy way of saying they want to block Kiev from ever joining NATO and from moving closer to the Western family of nations. I'm not in a position to comment on exactly what's going on uh, on the ground at, at this moment. Secretary of State Antony Blinken appearing on ABC News last night, one of three interviews he gave to the country's major broadcast networks. What we do know, uh, and part of the Russian plan, has been to uh, put uh, put Kiev in danger uh, to uh, to assault the capital to go after other major cities. We're seeing forces come in from the north, uh, from the east, from the south, and that's all part of the plan that we've laid out for the world in recent weeks. You're convinced Putin's going to overthrow this government? 
I'm convinced he's going to try to do that. At no point in any of those interviews, nor in any of his statements over the last 48 hours, has the Secretary of State issued a clear demand, explicitly insisting that Vladimir Putin must withdraw his forces from Ukraine immediately or else face further consequences. Is he threatening a nuclear strike? I have no idea what he's threatening. I know what he has done. When President Biden spoke at the White House yesterday... Putin is the aggressor. Putin chose this war. And now he and his country will bear the consequences. He also made not a single demand of the Russian leader. Imagine if George H.W. Bush had never insisted that Saddam Hussein must withdraw his forces from Kuwait after the Iraqi invasion in 1990. Or if Ronald Reagan had never told Mikhail Gorbachev to tear down this wall. Or Churchill had never bothered to tell Hitler to withdraw his forces from Poland in 1939. I mean, you'd think there might be some insistence by the US president that Vladimir Putin needs to pack up his kit bags, his fighter jets and his tanks and take them all home, especially given that... For weeks, we have been warning that this would happen. It's unfolding largely as we predicted. We've been transparent with the world. We've shared declassified evidence about Russia's plans and cyber attacks and false pretexts so that there could be no confusion or cover-up about what Putin was doing. What President Biden did focus on yesterday was the imposition of sanctions, far and away the toughest America has ever imposed on the Kremlin. He's going after household name banks in Russia with combined assets of over a trillion dollars. He sanctioned several family members of the Kremlin elite in a bid to raise the heat within Vladimir Putin's kitchen. And for the first time, the US is denying a raft of Russian industries access to international debt and equity markets. Again, household names targeted, including energy giant Gazprom and Russia's enormous telecoms, diamond mining, pipeline and railway enterprises. But again, President Biden held back. He didn't slap sanctions on Vladimir Putin personally, nor has he yet been able to persuade Germany and a couple of other countries in Europe to deny Russia access to SWIFT, the international payments system that would leave Russia's banks marooned if they were barred from it. Reporters couldn't understand why the president was keeping some measures in his back pocket. What more are you waiting for? Specifically, with the sanctions we've imposed exceed SWIFT. The sanctions we imposed exceed anything that's ever been done. The sanctions we imposed have generated two-thirds of the world joining us. They are profound sanctions. Let's have a conversation in another month or so to see if they're working. Of course, in another month or so, it may be far too late to save the Ukrainian government or Ukraine's democracy. But as the president spoke yesterday, it became clear that he had other concerns. And one of them is America's soaring price of petrol. He wanted Americans to know that he had made sure the US will be able to continue paying Russia for energy supplies, carving those payments out of the sanctions that he'd announced. I know this is hard and that Americans are already hurting. I will do everything in my power to limit the pain the American people are feeling at the gas pump. This is critical to me. But this aggression cannot go unanswered. If it did, the consequences for America would be much worse. America stands up to bullies. We stand up for freedom. This is who we are. 
This is who we are, at least until we're having to pay more than five bucks a gallon. The White House is unable to explain why, if earlier sanctions didn't deter Vladimir Putin's aggression, these new ones are going to constrain him. And after weeks of insisting that he couldn't possibly get inside Vladimir Putin's head, the president now says he's clambered in there and taken a good look around. He has much larger ambitions in Ukraine. He wants to, in fact, reestablish the former Soviet Union. That's what this is about. And I think that his, uh, his ambitions uh, are completely contrary to the place where the rest of the world has arrived. Now, it is worth pointing out that after that positively North Korean-style meeting of his top officials in Moscow on Monday, Vladimir Putin made an address to the Russian public in which he actually excoriated Soviet leaders going all the way back to Lenin and Stalin. It was all their fault, he said. They had made a mistake when they granted Ukraine a measure of independence. It was the Soviet Union, he argued, that had given Ukrainians an entirely false sense of being separate from their Russian Orthodox cousins. In his gilded Kremlin chair, you could argue Vladimir Putin is a wannabe czar seeking to restore Russia's imperial empire rather than a man eager to put the old Soviet band back together. In the Chechen capital of Grozny today, the last city that Vladimir Putin bombed back to the Stone Age before taking it over, 10,000 security agents loyal to him were being paraded ahead of their deployment to Ukraine. While the Russian president claims he's got volunteers signing up for his military mission, President Biden last night was underscoring that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is absolutely correct to conclude that he's had all the on-the-ground military military assistance that he's going to receive. History has shown time and again how swift gains in territory eventually give way to grinding occupations, acts of mass civil, mass civil disobedience, and strategic dead ends. The next few weeks and months, we hard on the people of Ukraine. Putin has unleashed a great pain on them. But the Ukrainian people have known 30 years of independence They've repeatedly shown that they will not tolerate anyone who tries to take their country backwards. Best of luck, lads. We're right behind you. Except for those of us who aren't. Since the day that Donald Trump became president, Democrats in Washington have told you you have a patriotic duty to hate Vladimir Putin. Fox News host Tucker Carlson, one of the most watched TV presenters in America, a man who two weeks ago denied being a paid Kremlin agent. That hatred of Vladimir Putin could bring the United States into a conflict in Eastern Europe. What is this really about? Why do I hate Putin so much? Has Putin ever called me a racist? Has he threatened to get me fired for disagreeing with him? Has he shipped every middle class job in my town to Russia? Did he manufacture a worldwide pandemic that wrecked my business and kept me indoors for two years? Is he teaching my children to embrace racial discrimination? Is he making fentanyl? Is he trying to snuff out Christianity? Does he eat dogs? These are fair questions, and the answer to all of them is no. Well, thank goodness for that, especially the bit about the dogs. That kind of rhetoric within the Republican Party is spreading. It's astonishing. The party that once renamed a street outside the Soviet embassy here after jailed Russian dissident Andrei Sakharov, the party whose leaders in the White House and the Senate went toe-to-toe with the Russians in the height of the Cold War, the party whose late Senator John McCain even has a street in Kiev 
have named after him, that party is now home to substantial elements who are ready to pledge fealty to Vladimir Putin and home to a former president who fancies another crack at the nation's top office. I really don't believe you wanted to do this initially. Donald Trump raced onto the air at Fox News as the Russian invasion began. I think he wanted to do something and negotiated. It just got worse and worse, and then he saw the weakness. I do know him, and I know him very well. We've had many, many uh, times together. I got along with him fantastically. This is a terrible thing. This is something that should have never happened. I really believe that it was Afghanistan when he looked at that horrible, weak pullout. I think that mm-hmm. they said, maybe we can do this. You know what they say, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Now, I can't claim to know Vladimir Putin very well, but I can recall that we got along fantastically for about 10 minutes in the year 2003. I was in Moscow that July covering George W. Bush's first visit as president to the Russian capital, a superpower summit that seemed to presage all sorts of possibilities for the future. Russia's not an enemy. We don't, we don't think about how to you know how to deal with Russia the way they used to Russia is a friend and uh, that's the new thinking that's part of what's being codified today what they were agreeing back then now seems unimaginable a new arms reduction treaty a strategic cooperation agreement the Russian leader throwing his weight behind the US war on terror after the September 11th attacks Russia was even sharing intelligence with the US and offering military advice on how to navigate Afghanistan in the hunt for Osama bin Laden after the summit ended and he'd said goodbye to President Bush the youthful Russian leader bounded up a set of Kremlin stairs and gave me an interview about his burgeoning relationship with the United States. You know, when we started this work on all the key issues of cooperation, our positions were either very different or I can say they were totally opposite. Well, I want to note that there was movement on both sides. It was a two-way street and we moved towards each other. And do you see the relationship now with the United States as an equal relationship? There are those Russian lawmakers who say that America now dominates the relationship. I think that America is worried about issues that they think are key questions. If you remember at our news conference, I mentioned the issues that we are worried about, such as rogue nations that are developing their nuclear technologies. That really worries us. In this respect, I would like to hope that the U.S. Congress, just like our parliament, in the end will ratify the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty. Russia signed this treaty and ratified it. The U.S. legislature still didn't. And it still hasn't. It's hard to square that youngster, Putin, not me, enthusing about the possibilities of partnering with the United States, even at one point suggesting Russia might be interested in joining NATO, with the man who has taken Europe to the brink of war and this week threatened America with nuclear weapons. Historians will spend decades assigning blame, most of it to him, but lots of it to successive American presidents who mishandled the relationship between Washington and Moscow. And depending on what happens next in Ukraine, one of those presidents, Eddie, is highly likely to be Joe Biden. Simon Marks' American Week back next Friday at a quarter to five. This is LBC. I'm Eddie Mayer.